0: Welcome to iCommunicate on full-service radio, 830 WCRN. To join the conversation, call 508-871-7000. Now, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to iCommunicate. It's good to have you here with us today. And uh, we're talking about, you know, we always talk about emotionally intelligent communication and how to be a more confident and effective communicator. And our topic today is a phrase we have all used many times. It's called reading between the lines. And I've really been giving a lot of thought to what that phrase means and how we use it. And what's what's funny to me is that often in a job interview, you're asked the question, are you detail-oriented? And I always think about what's the right answer to that? If you are detail, if you, if you claim you're detail-oriented... I would ask the question, well, what makes you say you are or what makes you say you're not? And the definition of being detail-oriented is broad. And I bring that up because the phrase reading between the lines is about paying attention to the details. Right? In, in so many different kinds of communication. And one of my favorite examples is when we talk about body language. Because I always, whenever I teach body language, there's so many different aspects to body language, right? You have modeling body language, you have interpreting body language, you have responding effectively to different kinds of body language. But what what we often forget about body language is the difference between reading it and noticing it. So a lot of people you know, can look at a human being and see when they're smiling, they're happy and they're frowning, they're sad. And when their arms are folded, they're closed off. You can, you know how to read generic kinds of body language. But the question is, when you are influencing people, when you are a presenter and presenting information, when you are running a meeting, when you are having a one on one conversation, is it about you? Or is it about the other people that you're having those interactions with? and when they show certain kinds of body language you know are you noticing the body language taking place and do you know what that means are you reading between the lines and see the challenge here with reading between the lines is not defaulting to an assumption and i'm going to give you a perfect example for all our parents out there how many parents have kids that have been doing virtual or hybrid learning during the pandemic and their kids seem a little depressed, they don't seem engaged, they don't seem to be their self, what do we do? We say, oh, well, that's because of the pandemic. You know, that's because it's virtual learning. It's not as fun. It's not as interesting. And we immediately jump to a bunch of conclusions. And my point isn't to say that that may not be contributing factor. It may be a major part of why your kids are showing. But the answer is, When you detect a behavior in another human being that isn't their normal behavior, why aren't we asking questions? Why are we jumping to conclusions? Why are we making assumptions?
1: Because it's so much easier to assume. so,
0: So much, Jasmine, right? But Jasmine, you know what's funny? Let's talk about that for a minute. You're absolutely right, but it's in the instant moment, it's easier. But just, don't we always find it creates more work in the long run?
1: That's one of the biggest problems I have with my boyfriend right now is I'm a communicator. I'm someone who's constantly trying to you know reach to the other person, figure out where they're at, make sure we're on the same page. And he is not at all. He has not ever really had to communicate with anybody in his life. So I'm trying to, like, bridge that gap of, okay, we do need to talk about certain things, and you shouldn't just assume that I feel one way or the other, but we need to have that communication.
0: So, Jasmine, actually, your example with your boyfriend is a great one because I often, when I do training and coaching, I often talk about personal examples as well as professional. So for our listeners, think about what Jasmine's saying. And this is actually pretty common when one person, and let's face it, from a stereotype and a stigma, it's usually the woman that is more comfortable communicating than the man. That's the reality. Fair or unfair, that's the reality. So whenever I try to understand and get curious about someone behaving differently, I often say to myself, what are they worried about? You know, if they, if they start communicating, if Jasmine's boyfriend, all of a sudden, Jasmine's trying to create a culture – of, it's okay. You can tell me, please don't assume how I'm feeling or how I'm thinking. And I won't do that for you either, but you can tell me what's going on. Well, the fear for a lot of people is that their past experience around communication, when they've gone down this road before, if they've gone down it before, it's yielded a bad experience. And or they haven't grown up with a culture of open, honest communication. So, if your parents haven't created those templates for you, and if your bosses in the workplace or mentors haven't created those templates for you, you're, you're not going to be able to do it. So, this is a concept I've talked about on the show before. It's called the elephant in the room concept. So, if Jasmine was to have a conversation with her boyfriend, and maybe she's already gone down this road, I don't know, and, and she looks at her boyfriend and says, Listen, Let's talk about your feelings for a minute. If you were to share your feelings, what would worry you if you shared those feelings with me? Like, what would you think? Would you think I would judge you that you're weak, that you're soft? Like, because this is what guys do think about, right? How will they come off if they start? You know, I once, Jasmine, I once was so great. I once had a workshop, a leadership workshop I was doing. And I was talking about the value of emotional intelligence related to self-awareness and motivation and so on and so forth. And this guy raises his hand, Jasmine, this is a true story, raises his hand, he says, Mark, I got to tell you, this sounds like a lot of Dr. Phil stuff to me. And I said, so just to confirm, um, being self-aware, reading between the lines, trying to understand other human beings' actions and behaviors better so you can be more effective in building that relationship, that's Dr. Phil stuff. And he said, well, when you put it like that, I guess not so much. So bottom line is, What did Jasmine say earlier? She said it's easier just to make those assumptions and just to default to the negative, but it does create more work. And Jasmine, I have to tell you, over the last two weeks, I'll be really honest with our listeners, I have been really worn down as I recognize the amount of work it takes to build relationships. It's a lot of work.
1: Oh, it's so much work, and if you don't have that communication and you have someone assuming on the other side or even you make assumptions, it takes so much longer because you just assume the other person feels a certain way when in reality they might not.
0: Well, and, and one other additional point on that is, for those of you who aren't familiar with what confirmation bias is, if Jasmine's boyfriend has – boy, I hope he's not listening today. No, um, if Jasmine's boyfriend has – had experiences in the past where he feels like it's a waste to communicate or it hasn't gone well or whatever, then it's easy to have confirmation bias and to assume Jasmine's actions support the theory that it's not safe to communicate without really understanding exactly. and exploring it, right?
1: Exactly. So he's had a lot of girlfriends that one haven't really taken an interest in his life and, you know, kind of just let him do whatever he wanted and didn't contribute and didn't, you know. And I'm completely the opposite of that. I'm someone who wants to be completely involved and wants to contribute and wants to have those relationships, you know, meet that extra level of we're going to work together, we're going to be partners, we're going to do this together. And because of that, he just assumes that I'm either going to be mad at him or that I'm not going to want to do things with him. So it takes an extra bit of time for us to be like, okay, you know, we are going to work together on this and this is how we're going to do that without stressing either one of us out. Well,
0: and and Jasmine, you just made my point from earlier is that he assumes you're going to be mad at him. So there's the elephant in the room, right, if, he, if he's safe to communicate. I will say this to our listeners. Um, there are certain things, uh, and I've never met Jasmine's boyfriend. He may be the greatest guy since sliced bread. I have no idea. But I will say that, um, and I teach my kids this and I teach professionals this all the time. There are certain things in relationships that you can overcome, and then there's other things that can be very difficult to overcome. And if you don't have similar approaches to communication, that can make it very difficult to sustain a long-lasting relationship, no matter how much value you see in the other person. So look, reading between the lines, I, I, I talked about body language, the difference of noticing someone's body language being different Think about the difference of hearing something or listening to something. Have you ever had a situation where you've had an interaction with another human being where they said, I've already told you that. You're like, I don't remember when you told me that. Well, is that because when the person was speaking, you were hearing it, but you weren't fully listening? And then one of the greatest examples of reading between the lines is written communication. When you read an email... What are the words that are being conveyed? What are the messages, actually, the words being chosen and the messages that are being conveyed? When someone doesn't respond to you in an email, we immediately make a lot of assumptions to why they're not responding. We don't really know why they're not responding. As a matter of fact, there could be up to 10 reasons that someone isn't responding to an email. But we're not reading... Yep, we're not reading between the lines, we're making assumptions. So when we come back from our first break, we're going to get into how to read between the lines and to understand more effectively how and why people communicate us and what are the messages they're trying to send, and are you actually seeing and hearing those messages? So for Mark Altman, this is iCommunicate. We'll be right back. Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to iCommunicate. So we're talking about the phrase reading between the lines. And there's three areas. There's three, there's three groups of people we're going to talk about when it comes to reading between the lines. We're talking about relationships, and it could be personal or professional relationships in the workplace. We're talking about clients, relationships with clients, and we're talking about prospects. Today the focus is going to be more so on clients. And so then the question becomes why do we lose clients? And when you think of the word autopsy, because this is a word I call these client and prospect autopsies, we have to understand why we lost clients. And in a lot of times we don't truly understand why we've lost clients because We depend on whatever feedback that the disgruntled or disappointed client gives us, and we use that as gospel. Sometimes we ask questions, sometimes we get them on the phone to truly understand after the fact, whether it's to salvage the relationship or to just truly understand what was done wrong. But we don't often understand why we lost that client, and it's often because there were times along the way where we weren't reading between the lines. We weren't understanding the depth of their frustration or dissatisfaction. Now, if you ask an executive or a head of a customer client services department, and you ask, say, the last three clients that have been lost, and you say, why did we lose that client? What do you think the standard answer is? Jasmine, if you were to take a stab at a couple of the standard answers I get on why a client was lost, what do you think they'd be?
1: Probably customer service, not being able to communicate with the customer properly and assess their wants or needs and get them done accurately.
0: Right. So what's interesting about this is customer service is really broad, right? Because often that client may be touching several people within your organization that are servicing that client. So I'm going to start out with a scenario that I think is a fabulous scenario. Now let's take the example that a salesperson at your company, part of their job is to service that client. So they're not just sales, they're also providing some account management features. And what if that salesperson recognizes that they don't have a great relationship with that client? There could be a personality conflict. Maybe your, your style, your communication style just doesn't jive with the client. So now there's a dilemma, Jasmine, because first assuming the salesperson can read between the lines and can recognize that that's going on, but let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say they do. Second, what is the salesperson going to do about it? Now, we talked earlier in the show about the elephant in the room. Now, let's pretend this salesperson is getting revenue from this client. Now they have to go to their sales leader and report that they think there may be a personality conflict. Think of the risk involved in that. So first of all, if the client gets taken away from me, I lose the revenue. Second, it could show a deficiency in my skills that the person judges me for and they start to say, well, if you have a personality conflict with that client, I wonder if you have personality conflicts with others. So there's enormous risk for the salesperson to do the right thing or whatever that is, the alleged right thing. Now, if you're, if you're on the executive team of a company, you're going to say, of course you have to do the right thing. If you can read between the lines and you can see that there's a relationship struggle, you have to think company first. Well, conceivably you have to think that way, but most people think of themselves first. And they're going to protect their bottom line before they protect the, their, the company's bottom line. And what's critical about that is think about how short-sighted that is. What did Jasmine say in our first segment? She said, why do people choose the easier path? You know? Because they want the instant gratification, even though in the long run it's going to be worse. Well, the same goes with our personality conflict. If you're a salesperson and you're short-sighted enough to say, well, I'm not going to report this because I don't want to lose the revenue, but you may lose the client anyway. And then your reputation and your integrity is in question. And guess what? Your second fear that you don't want to be judged by your sales leader or the company itself – guess what? If you've lost the client, you're going to be judged anyway. They're going to look to you as what role did you have in that?
1: Exactly. It's like you're working as a consultant where you know your individual actions actually ref- reflect with your customer service, with that customer in particular, with the revenue you're bringing home and with the company itself. So not only does the company have to figure out whether your customer service and your style is working for them, but you need to figure out whether it's working for you and then for the customer and how do you balance all three of those?
0: Well, yeah, Jasmine. And and, you know, one of the biggest areas that people don't pick up on when it comes to written and verbal communication around reading between the lines is a decline in trust. And I'm gonna give you a very simple, perfect example. So last week's show, we talked a lot about effective communication and I was sharing some experiences in, in buying a car with my friend, helping my friend buy a car. Well, so the end result of that whole interaction was the dealer we finally chose to buy the car from, um, we asked for a specific requirement on the car, and we reminded them several times we wanted this requirement. And the car shows up, and it doesn't have the requirement. So now we sit there and say to ourselves, well, we, we trusted them to do this. They didn't do this. Now, what typically happens in a service situation when someone doesn't deliver on a promise they fix it. Hopefully, they fix it. But see, what happens is, if you promised me something, you don't deliver, and then you go fix it, my lingering takeaway from that experience is not that you fixed it, it's that I couldn't rely on you to do what you said you did the first time. And so in service situations, when there are breakdowns in trust, when clients have bad experiences, A lot of times, service and salespeople, they fix the problem and they rectify it and they think it's all better. But they don't actually weigh the cost of the mistake in the first place. They don't truly understand what a dent that put in the relationship. I mean, I'm going to give you a ridiculous, extreme personal example, but it makes a point. Okay? If in a a relationship... If, if the man or woman or whatever kind of relationship it is, if one of them cheats on the other, right? So let's just say the person who was cheated on forgives them, says it's okay. You think they've really forgiven them? You don't think their radar is up in that trust? For most people, when trust is broken and dented, it takes an enormous amount to repair that trust if you can ever repair it in some cases, especially the example I gave. I've talked on the show before about Gottman's magic ratio. Gottman's magic ratio is you need five positive comments and interactions to offset a negative one. How many good interactions of trust do you need to offset a negative one? So when you're talking about reading between the lines, if you're a salesperson or you are servicing a client, and there is a bad interaction. And they've expressed frustration. Fixing the problem doesn't mean you've necessarily fixed the problem. But we get complacent. And i got to tell you, I'm someone, and this may not surprise a lot of our listeners, when I've been inconvenienced or wronged in a service situation, you you haven't fixed the problem by fixing the problem. I want to know what you're going to go above and beyond to do to make up for it. Because I've been inconvenienced. My time has been lost. My energy has been lost. We don't just get to say, let's call it even. So when you talk about trust, you read an email from a client. Read the email. Can you understand the level of frustration? Do you, are you clear from the email what they want to rectify this situation? Are you clear from a conversation what they want to rectify the situation? And how about this? How about this little tidbit? What about, what about how your contact person, what about how their relationship has suffered internally, their reputation, the people in the organization that were also affected by this mistake? This was the person that bought your product or bought your service. They feel wronged, and now the mistakes are reflecting on them. And even if they were to forgive you and genuinely put it out of their mind, they may be reminded of it by others that you don't even know about. Oh, you're dealing with that company again? Oh, God, I hope it goes well this time. So when you try to understand and read between the lines of why clients are lost, the simple answers that make us not feel better or we'll never feel good when we lose a client, but if there was a turnover, your contact person left, or it was a one-off or a temporary need for your services, or there was a financial crisis, all three of those things seem like they're out of your control. What could you have done about that? Even if you knew that inf- information, even if you read between the lines, what could you have done about that? Well, there are things you could have done about that, and when we come back from our second break, we're going to talk about even the things that appear out of your control are within your control as you're reading between the lines and understanding where a client's head is at. So, for I Communicate, I'm Mark Altman. We'll be back shortly. Okay, welcome back to I Communicate and. Uh, You know, one of our loyal listeners, Ryan, um, just texted me a great scenario. You know, you're talking about, you know, reading between the lines. And he said that, you know, many of the issues salespeople face are not managing expectations or providing good service. That's exactly right. And let's talk about managing expectations. And what's tricky about expectations is that expectations are only allowed if they're articulated and agreed on. And we don't always know what our clients' expectations are because we don't actually take the time to ask. We tell them what we're going to do. We tell them what our process is, right? But we don't always take the time to say, does this meet your expectations? Or is there anything above and beyond what we've discussed that you expect from us? And we don't take the time to clarify that. And so part of the problem is, we use words in business like we want to go the extra mile and we want to exceed expectations. It's garbage. It's just fluff. Unless you understand what going the extra mile and exceeding expectations would actually mean, then it's just fluff. It doesn't mean anything. Now, I'll come back to that, but I promised heading into our second break, I would talk about what is control? What is controllable and not controllable. And the three examples I gave were when you lose a client, it could be because of reorganization or turnover, it could be a one-off or temporary need for your services, or it could be a financial crisis. But let's look at all three of those things. If it's a turnover and your contact person that you had a strong and loyal relationship, if you had been talking to that person on a regular basis, they have made been able to champion in your cause and help bridge the gap to you developing the relationship with the new person. So it's not as simple as, well, there's a new person in charge. They don't want to use our services anymore. It's, do you have enough interaction and contact with the existing person that they will champion you and your solution to the new person? So that's the real question. As far as the one-off or temporary need for your services, That may be true in some cases, but the question is did they truly understand the value that your solution, service, or product provides? Was it simply what they bought from you, which fit their exact need at the time? Or do they truly understand how your solution fits into the bigger picture and what they're doing? So if you sell, a quick fix interim solution so you could get the sale, you may never have taken the time to truly understand what is the larger scale need for your service. So if you report to your head of client services or sales that you lost the client because they didn't need, well, that's not necessarily true. And then the third scenario is a financial crisis or a lack of budget. Well, again, that may be their budget may have gotten hit But do they understand the priority level and the value that your solution creates that they maybe should have prioritized your solution over some of the other things that are making the cut? So, even things that we say aren't controllable still could be more controllable. So, when it comes to reading between the lines, if your answer refers to a temporary need for services or executive turnover, Financial crisis, then I would argue you don't have the full answer and you haven't taken the time to be curious and read between the lines. Now, going back to where Ryan spoke about, let's talk about the concept of providing value. So, every single person listening to this show, if you are in the business of servicing clients or servicing human beings, I want you to ask yourself a question. The question is, how do you know? If your client sees you, your solution, and your organization as valuable. It's three things now, right? You're the person they deal with that they bought from. It's the solution itself. What kind of impact is it creating in the organization? And it's the company as a whole and the other people they may deal with. What value do those three things have to your clients. Do you know the answer to that? If I called your clients today and I said, hey, I'm going to do a quick three-question survey. Tell me why such and such solution company in person is just indispensable for your organization. You want to read between the lines. Look at the word I just used, indispensable. Indispensable. Isn't that how we all want to be seen to our clients as indispensable? So think about it. Do you know how your client sees your value? And you know what? Guess what the problem is there? You know how we get answers to that most of the time? is feedback, reactive feedback. Client sends you an email, oh my God, thank you so much. I mean, Jasmine supports a number of companies. So, Jasmine, let me put you on the spot. When's the last time for the companies you're servicing, you have proactively reached out and said, hey, I want to check in. Are you happy with me, the work I'm doing? I have to to
1: do it constantly. Because? Well, being a home health aide, I have to do it with my individual clients so that I make sure that I'm meeting their needs in a way that actually works for them. Because everybody is so individual when it comes to their care routines that it's not gonna be the same from person to person. And one person's gonna like it one way and one person's gonna like it totally different. So I have to check in absolutely daily with those people and make sure that everything that I'm doing is up to par with what they expect from me.
0: Okay, now you want, now listeners, you wanna read between the lines of what Jasmine said? A lot of you, I would imagine, are listening to what she said and going, wow, she sounds great, that's awesome. But I want you to pick up something she said I have to, she doesn't have to, she doesn't. She's making a decision that her core values are to do that. She doesn't have to, she's not going to get fired if she doesn't do that. Right? So you see, there's a decision that was made of have to, but that actually diminishes the action that Jasmine's taking by taking the time to do that because she doesn't have to. And so, you know, part of servicing people in doing right by people is caring enough to understand what it takes and if you are meeting a person's needs. So Jasmine says, yes, I do that. That's part of my job. She sees it as part of her job. Okay. Even
1: with my other jobs, though, um, like I'm a small business manager, so I go in and work with individual small businesses to make their business run better. And if I'm not checking in with those employees or those business owners as well, then again, I'm not meeting the needs of my clients. And they're either going to go with someone who they feel is more professional or better to run their business than I am.
0: So, but Jasmine, but you know what the million dollar question to me is? You make it sound so easy. Like you didn't, you weren't 10 years old and coming up with this strategy. Like you, where does this knowledge this savvy this approach come from where you just said it's non-negotiable I have to do it this way where's that come from
1: I suppose a lot of that comes from growing up in a very unstable household and um, having abuse in the household and having you know a difficult situation that I had to go through as a small child and realize that you know having that level of communication, having that ability to reach out to people and talk to them and see where they're at is totally different. And it changes the game entirely because rather than, you know, assuming what the other person feels or rather than taking control yourself and thinking, I'm just going to do this the way I want to do it or the way I think it should be done. You're actually involving that other person and Being able to really get to the core of it and figure out what they really want and what you really want and how to best get those goals together. So,
0: so Jasmine, is it fair to say, and if I'm off base, you'll correct me, but is it fair to say that part of who you've evolved into today is based on some trauma in the past?
1: That shifted
0: your thought process to do, and in this case, it worked out really well because you're doing good things, right? But it's it's trauma-based in some of these cases, right?
1: Absolutely. And honestly, I feel like having that sort of trauma in your life really opens your eyes to the way that you affect other people because it's not just okay, me saying this in this moment has this effect. It's okay. This is how this affected me in the past. This is how it's changed my life so drastically from one day to the next. How do I make sure that that stuff doesn't happen to someone else? Or how do I bridge the gap to make sure that that's smooth and that we can communicate and that it's not happening to the extreme?
0: Well, you're touching upon something, Jasmine, I'm very passionate about, and that's the word adversity. And I, I feel like, and, and I'm a big sports fan, and I feel like a lot of athletes throw around the word adversity very carelessly, and they wouldn't actually know adversity if it smacked them over the head. And I, I think, you know, I was talking to someone the other day about LeBron James, and there was something that just came out that LeBron James has now become the sixth most charitable athlete on earth, the amount of money he gives. Meanwhile, I detest LeBron James. And most people, if you ask for a guy of his celebrity stature and the success he's had, he's actually not that well-liked for some reason. And you know, one of the reasons I don't think he's well-liked, Jasmine, is because his name is the king. He's been treated like he's been a king since he's been eight years old. And, and so people feel like he's been spoon-fed and he's had it in life easy. And so I think it's hard to like someone, We, especially in the Northeast, you know, we're in a culture where we like the blue collar. We like people. We root who, for the underdog. Right, we like the underdog. We like people who have gone through real adversity and challenges. And that that can be very difficult for people around motivation. It can be very difficult for people to be motivated and to motivate others if they haven't experienced real adversity. And let's face it, you know, adversity isn't losing three games in a row. Like, I know, I like I like at the end of the season, well, he's, oh, we overcome major adversity this year. No, you didn't. You, you really didn't. You had an injury. You had a losing streak. That's not real adversity. To them, to their perspective, it may be real adversity. But in the grand scheme of things, it's things like what Jasmine talked about. You know, you listen to guys like Allen Iverson and Kevin Garnett. They experienced adversity in their upbringing. You know, LeBron James didn't experience adversity. Come on. So... All right, I'm going to get off my rant on LeBron James. Um, so, point being that when you're talking about, re- yeah, when you're talking about reading between the lines, understanding how people see you as valuable, what is it that people expect? What are you delivering on? Where are you falling short? And guess what? One of the reasons, and I'll say this last comment leading into break, and we'll pick up we'll pick this up in our final segment. Sometimes. People leave you and go to a competitor, not because anything egregious has been done wrong. It's because they forgot why they hired you in the first place. There was nothing significant that you, your company, or your solution was providing to make them want to stay with you. And then it becomes a price-driven decision. And that's the worst thing you want, because if it's a price-driven decision, you haven't articulated or demonstrated any clear value to make them stay. So, we're going to pick up on that um, and we're going to talk about quality, the definition of quality related to reading between the lines when we come back for our final segment. Now, I Communicate continues on Full Service Radio, 830 WCRN. Once again, here's your host, Mark Altman. Okay, welcome back to our final segment of I Communicate. We've been talking about reading between the lines in Before we get into our last segment, I want to reinforce what we've been talking about, the central concept of the show, which is slowing down enough to read between the lines. You know, I talked about the difference between reading and noticing body language. I talked about the difference between hearing someone and listening to someone. The difference between written communication, when you read someone's email, slowing down enough, going through the email to look at the hidden meanings within those emails. What are they really trying to communicate? Reading, the li- reading between the lines, let me tell you something. It's an art form. You're talking about attention to detail. If a, cl- if a company called me up today and said, we need help with communication, I would say, okay, one of our trainings should be on reading between the lines. But again, even that, there's a big difference between knowing the importance to do something and doing it. What is everybody going to say when I do the reading between the lines training? They're going to say, right, yeah, we really need to do that. That's important. We really need to slow down enough. But you know what would be part of that training is how to slow down enough. Because that's the biggest struggle people are having right now is attention management and distraction management and knowing how to slow down enough to read between the lines.
1: Being mindful. Being
0: mindful. So when you're learning a core competency or skill, you, you may want the right answer. You may want to know how to do it, the actual skill itself. But you have to build in the muscle memory and mindfulness to know to do it. Because you're not doing it now or you're not doing it consistently enough now. Now let's talk about quality for a minute. We just talked about value. So th- let me tell you the three different kinds of quality there is. There's actual quality. And you know what actual quality is? It's the quality you promise you're going to deliver with your product and service. The second kind of quality is expected quality. What does that mean? It means that whatever your service or product offers, they are expecting something from it. It is the actual quality that you are promising and offering equal to the expectations they have. And you know what we call that, Jasmine? The difference between actual and expected quality is perceived quality. And I can't tell you how many times I've worked with organizations that will tell me there was a disparity between the quality they received and the quality they expected. This is not unusual. You ever order something on Amazon and then you get it and you're like, what the heck is this? It's a third of the size you thought, or it's whatever. It's, it's scratched, or it's whatever. It happens all the time. So we've talked, about, we've talked about three key things, right? We talked about personality conflicts, right? We talked about value and some questions you could ask around to make sure you, your solution, and organization are valuable, and we've talked about the difference between actual, actual and expected quality and perceived quality. Now, let's bring this all full circle. So how do you prevent this? If you are slowing down enough to read the, between the lines, and you are on top of trust and value in quality and chemistry, if you are attentive to those things, well, what do you do? Well, you have to ask some questions. You have to actually talk to your clients on a regular basis. And this brings up the ultimate problem, which is so often we only talk to clients either of one of two scenarios. One, because something's wrong and we're being reactive and we need to fix it. Or because we want to sell them something or we want to expand services with them. So the primary interactions people have with their clients are to sell them or reactively fix a problem. That's not going to get it done. And then I hear a lot of people in business say, why don't clients respond to us when we reach out to them? Well, that's because when, they, when you reach out to them, they know what's coming because it's been the same interaction over and over. So the question is, what are some questions you need to ask? And what is the cadence or regularity you need to have to communicate with your clients? And I teach a four a four step cadence where you're rotating purposes and meanings of calls and in that cadence you're asking questions to clarify and determine value you're asking questions to make sure quality and other people they're interacting with are up to snuff look feedback is wonderful in big part of reading between the lines is understanding what that feedback is saying. What is the message you're supposed to receive from the feedback you're getting? And by the way, it works positively too. You know, when you're reading between the lines on positive feedback, take the time to understand what they really appreciate from you and your service or product. So it works both ways. But it's not enough. What proactive steps... Do you need to take, after you've read the message or listened to a message or had a conversation, what did you hear that needs to be addressed? What's still broken? What are the perceptions that are still not where you want them to be? Do they still see you as indispensable? So you have to be proactive in two different ways. You have to be proactive when you're reading between the lines And you have to be proactive to communicate and ask the right questions to understand where people are at. I mean, look at sports for a minute. You know, as I said earlier in the show, I'm a big sports fan. When a guy doesn't hustle and he doesn't run out a fly ball in baseball or he's not running back up the court on defense in basketball, why is that? What, what, what message should we get between that? Well, I can't answer that because it could mean a number of things. It could mean the player is disengaged and doesn't want to play for the, for the franchise anymore. It could mean the player has a gripe with his coach or his teammates and he's acting out on the field or the court to show them. But what do we do? We see a guy doesn't run out of fly ball or hustle back on defense. Well, here in Boston, we don't like that. We call them lazy. We call them disinterested. We call them not passionate. But we don't know. And I'm not enabling it. I'm not excusing it. I'm one of the first people making those comments. I'm just saying that reading between the lines, understand why people act and behave the way they do. It's not simple. You have to be curious to understand why people are talking, acting, and thinking the way they are. People haven't been put on this earth to meet your expectations, satisfy your needs. They have rationale. They have their own thought process. They may not be great communicators. They may lack emotional intelligence. But there's reasons why. And most of the time, ladies and gentlemen, it's not to punish you and be malicious. They don't know how to control their thoughts and be self-aware of what's going on. They just don't know how. I don't care if you're a valedictorian at an Ivy League school. That's IQ. That's education. That's not emotional intelligence. That's not communication. You could be the smartest person in the world and really suck in those other areas. Absolutely. That's right. That's absolutely right. Wellness. Resiliency. Stress management. I mean, this is enormous. Talk about a set of core competencies. When your kids leave your house, you want them to have. I mean, that's at the top of the list. So we've got to start being curious. We've got to start asking questions. We've got to read between the lines and be more proactive. So that's going to do it for this episode of I Communicate, Reading Between the Lines. Part two of Reading Between the Lines will be next week. We'll get more into the prospects in relationships. From Mark Altman, this has been I Communicate.